Doing well? Good, guys. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I do not serve as one of the pastors here at the Hallows, but I am the lead pastor of a church that is launching today, Uh, the Point Church in Federal Way. So, so, so happy to get to celebrate that day with you guys, with with this, this group who became my family while we were here, who welcomed us into your arms, my wife and I, and then our daughter. Um, man, it's, it's good to be here uh, to get to celebrate that and, and open God's word together. Uh, just a little, uh, a little pre uh, cursor preamble here to today's uh, message. So uh, guys, today's passage, uh, first of all, if I was visiting someone's church to preach, I would never pick this passage. Like this is, this is a rough one. Um, this is not fun to preach really. Um, it's uh, also one that could uh, really be taken badly, especially if we didn't have any relationship. Luckily we have a little bit of relationship, so there'll be a little grace there. But, um, but this is a, a passage where Jesus is, is speaking very firmly. He's speaking very directly and uh, honestly speaking pretty negatively to the group of people that he's speaking to. And so there's, there's two reactions that are, are very natural to have um, to, to hearing this passage and, and, and that you could, you could walk away from this sermon feeling really beat up. Um, you could feel like this weird, you know, bearded preacher dude just beat me over the head for, for you know, 30 minutes, right? Uh, and and you, you walk out feeling full of shame and full of hurt. The other thing that you could do is you could walk out saying, whew, I am so glad I am not like those dudes back then, right? I'm so glad that I'm not like the Pharisees, that I'm not like the scribes. I am good to go. How great am I? Well, both of those reactions are wrong. Both of those reactions kind of are the opposite of, I think, why Jesus even allows for this discourse to be captured. Um, And so I, I want to invite us to approach today's text humbly and honestly, knowing that there are parts of it that are going to push pressure points in your soul, and that's okay. Lean into when it begins to hurt because there is where God is trying to shape and to mold you. But I I also want to let you know that I'm going to do my best as a preacher of God's word to try to give and show grace, to show where there is grace and to use this more as an encouragement of what to watch out for than an indictment of you. So don't leave here beat up, please. But also don't leave here puffed up because both of those things would, would be the wrong, I think, response to what God has for us today. So when, when my wife and I started dating, um, you know, like everyone, I was trying to find something that she loved that I could love too, right? Um, And so for some reason, I chose running, which was a huge mistake. I do not love running at all. Even a little bit. Uh, I, I play soccer, which you're like, well, hey, that's like one of the sports you run the most. I play goalkeeper. I run 10 feet. Like, that's it. I stand there and wave at people. Like, that's, that's all I do and yell when the ball gets to me, right? Like, that, so I have designed my life around not running. Um, and so I meet the woman that I think I'm going to marry, and I decide, you know what? 
I'm going to adopt running. And you know what we should do? The Houston Marathon is in January. We should train for the Houston Marathon. And we did. And it was bad. And I did not like it. But the other side of that is so you adopt, right, what, what they love. But then you want them to love something that you love, right? So the first day that I walked into uh, Jess's apartment, I noticed this VHS box set of the original Star Wars trilogy. Like the, the VHSs. She even saved a VCR just so she could watch those VHSs, right? Like, and so I knew, like, this girl loves the University of Michigan. This girl loves Star Wars. And she's smoking hot. This is it. Like, this is the girl I'm going to marry, right? So when I started to look for what I wanted, you know, to, to get her to love that I loved, I was like, I love video games. And there's this video game that just came out called Star Wars Battlefront. So I can take something she loves and something I love and we can put them together and we've got the perfect marriage of, you know, of likes here. And so I said, I, I endeavored to, to teach her how to play this video game. And it was the, the beginning of the end of us ever playing video games together ever, still to this day. Uh, so I, uh, what I did is I, I, I set her up, you know, and I, I got the controller and I started to play. I started to show her kind of how the game worked and what you're supposed to do. Then came time for me to hand the controller over. So I hand the controller over. And I am, am like full of joy and expectation, right? I'm like so like she is going to love this. Guys, I don't know how this happened, but just like reprogrammed the game to die in the tutorial. I tell you that, I promise you that's what happened. Died so many times. There's two joysticks, right? She could not figure out how to move and look at the same time. So she would like be walking like this and then look up and trying to aim. Guys, it drove me crazy. So at first I was like, okay, solicited advice, right? She wants to know how to play. So I'm trying to tell her. Well, it quickly moved to unsolicited advice, right? It went from like, yeah, yeah, tell me how to, hey, let me, leave me alone. I took my hands over her hands, you know, trying to be sweet and like show her how to play. And then slowly that controller came from her hands into my hands. And then three hours of me playing Star Wars Battlefront while Jessica just sat there doing nothing, probably being angry and wondering why she was even here. So, uh, you know, my intentions though were the best. Like I truly wanted to find something that she would love, that I love that we could do together. I had the best of intentions, but somewhere along the way, I got a little lost. Somewhere along the way, it became about me playing video games. It became about what I wanted and how I wanted it to be done. And slowly those good intentions became really rough points. And it wasn't great. And like I said, we've been married six years now. We do not play video games together. Not even, I can't even watch her play video games. She's not any better. She swears she's good at video games. She's lying. Lord bless her. Forgive her, right? Like, I, like, this, you know, this is, is a, it started as something that was so pure and quickly kind of took a turn when I got lost along the way. And today's passage is about some guys named the Pharisees and scribes. And Pharisees were high priests and, and, and these religious leaders who followed God's law so, so strictly. And we like to make them the bad guys. We like to, to kind of make them punching bags of the ancient world. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is we have to remember that they started out 
being like that because they love God so much. They started out following God's law because they wanted to love God really well. But somewhere along the way, they got a little lost. Somewhere along the way, their best intentions became wrong. Somewhere along the way, it drifted from taking care of God's law to taking care of myself. You see, oftentimes our deepest sin stems from trying to do good. Our deepest sin is, is fi- often finds its root in us trying to be and do good things. And so I, I want to start here in chapter 11 of the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it f- with me. If you don't have your Bible, there's a thing called a phone. I don't know if you know it. Uh, it has an app that has the Bible on it. You can read that. Or we'll have the words on the screen um, if you don't have any of those. Um, we're going to be chapter 11, verse 37. And it starts like this. As he was speaking, he being Jesus, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisee, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint and rue and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. So again, Pharisees, the bad guys, right? Now, to be fair, they did lead the charge to kill Jesus. So they're not great guys. But when they began the journey to become a Pharisee, they began a journey to keep God's law. They started out, but they they forgot that it's God that they loved and not the law. And that's how this hypocrisy started. They wanted so badly to please God that the law became God and their religiosity and morality became more important than their creator. These men were truly trying to live lives that were set apart and holy. They wanted to be men who were blameless before God and before men. They had the best intentions and yet somewhere they got lost. Somewhere they lost the why they followed the law. And they forgot why the law existed in the first place. One of the ways that the Pharisees really got it sideways was with money. See, they they would give a tenth of everything that they had to God. Even the things that they didn't have to. So there's this thing called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is is really the Jewish code of law. And in the Mishnah, it tells exactly which herbs and spices you would have to give a tenth of. And and it specifically says that this thing called rue, you don't have to give. Now, I don't, rue is some kind of herb. I tried to look it up. I didn't understand it. I don't know what it is. But but it's it's here in the scripture, so we're talking about it. So, uh, so, so, Jesus. Jesus said that you give your mint and you, which is, is required, but you give your rue, which isn't required. 
So see, they were giving more than they had to, but they didn't give out of any love for God or any love for, for people. They, they gave out of obligation, and honestly, they gave out of pride. Look how much I can give. Look what I do. I go above and beyond. So Jesus knows this, and he calls them out. He knows they give to God what is God's, but that they don't give anything to anyone else. They check off their box of giving, and then they're done. They needed something more than that, though. They gave more than they needed, but they had no generosity for hurting and for broken people. Now, see, Jesus wasn't letting them off the hook here. He wasn't saying, hey, you don't have to give to God what is God's. You have to give to God what is God's and you have to give to people. He's saying you must give of your time and your talent and your treasures, not only to serve the Lord, but also to serve hurting and broken people. See, Jesus here is very serious about being generous. Did you know that Jesus talks about money more than any single subject? If you don't believe me, read through the gospels and start making a tick mark every time he talks about money. It's the single most, the greatest thing that he talks about. And I think he does it because he knows that our money will follow our heart. Now, if anyone knows me, you know that my heart will bring you to the Nike website, um, for better or worse. But like we, Jesus knew that we would follow where our money goes. You, but you can't read the words of the New Testament honestly and not realize how important generosity was to Jesus and how important generosity was to the early church. This time, this is time and talent and treasures both to God and to people. See, the hypocrisy that Jesus is pointing out here is, is rooted in giving that they thought was enough or maybe even more than enough, but that missed the whole heart of why we give. See, the tithe was originally instituted for three reasons. The first was to take care of the temple. The second was to take care of the priests. And the third was to take care of the hurting, the broken, and the poor. You see, I think, and, 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 and many scholars agree with me, that at this time, the, the, the Jewish synagogues, the, the church as it was, wasn't doing a good job of taking care of the poor. Why do I think that? Because the Pharisees were most angry when Jesus would go hang out with poor people. Jesus, the Pharisees and scribes were angry when Jesus would go to places that they wouldn't go. And so if their religious institution was, was taking care of the poor and knew that that was part of what they were supposed to be doing, they wouldn't be so angry all the time. There was something that the church was broken inside of the church and Jesus was coming to, to show it and set it right. By the time that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, they had forgotten that taking care of the poor was part of God's heart from the beginning. But then Jesus moves on to the, probably the source of their lack of generosity, pride and self-importance. Jesus says that they demanded the best seat in church. Now in this context, uh, as I see all of you wonderfully, the best seat is probably the farthest from the stage, right? The farthest from the preacher. Um, so uh, uh, for some people, it would be the front, uh, the, the front row. But he, in this context, it's actually, it's not the one that faces the stage. They would actually have seats at the front that would face the people. 
The Pharisees wanted to be on display. The Pharisees wanted everyone to see how much they worshiped, how fervently they prayed, how perfectly they recited the words of the Old Testament. They wanted people to see them because they felt that they were important. They demanded to be set at a place above everybody else. Pride is the rot that the world smells all too often on us as believers, as the church. But pride can be subtle. It can work its way in without us even noticing. The way that I notice it in my life is when I start to feel like I'm owed something. Like I deserve something. And I believe that's what we see the Pharisees here. I think that they felt that their observance to the law earned them the right to the best seats. They thought that it earned them the right to ignore all the portions of the Bible that demanded that we take care of widows and orphans and immigrants. But they failed to realize that pride had taken root in their heart and they had forgotten the very nature of the God that they claimed to serve. A God who demands justice and mercy. The last indictment that Jesus casts at the Pharisees is a, really, is a very strange one. If, uh, and, and if you don't really know why unmarked graves is such an insult, I don't blame you. Uh, it's, it's one of these obscure kind of references. But um, so in, in, the, 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 in God's law that he gave to Moses, um, there, there, there's a call to not touch anything that is dead. And uh, walking over a grave was the same as touching something that was dead. And so if you uh, walk over a grave, you become ceremonially unclean and you are defiled. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been uh, like to the South, but in the South, uh, every church has a graveyard next to it. Like that's, you know, grandma and grandpa and great grandma and granny. And, you know, everyone was buried right next to the place that we go to the church. It's very strange. Uh, but um, that, that comes from a, an ancient tradition where there, there would be graveyards that were closer uh, that would be maybe on the way to going to the temple. And so um, the, if a grave isn't marked, people would walk across it, would make themselves unclean, and then they would walk into the temple and they would defile the temple and make it unclean as well. And so Jesus here, you know, calling someone an unmarked grave, probably not a big insult today, but then what Jesus is very clearly saying is that the rot of hypocrisy and pride inside of you has caused you to decay, defiled you, and made you unclean. And not only that, but your contact with other people, you being in community with other people, it's making them unclean as well. Jesus took this very seriously. And that rot of pride that is so often smelled by the world, the, the world sees it as well as smells it and they hear it. And Jesus here is, is, is giving a warning to us through this warning to the Pharisees that we did nothing to deserve grace. We did nothing to deserve grace being chosen. We did nothing and could do nothing. Yet it's very easy for us to get lost in that. 
Verse 45 goes on to say this. I, I love this. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. So here we've got two groups. We've got the Pharisees and then we've got the scribes or the, the experts in the law. So they just listened to Jesus tear up and down the Pharisees. And so this guy like raises his hand. This is how I imagine it. Hey, Jesus, that hurt our feelings. We're not like them. Like he's trying to distance himself from them. Like you hurt me too. So Jesus, like I, could, I, I imagine like the Pharisees were here. You guys are Pharisees. You guys are scribes. Just go with it. So Jesus is looking here and then he goes, oh, <laughs> you want some too? Like that's, that's how I imagine it. Probably not how it happened, but just go with it. So, so Jesus then just turns and verse 46, 46 says this. Then he said, woe also to you, experts of the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, you build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For you killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them will kill and persecute so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. And when he left there, the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait to trap him in something he said. So Jesus turns to the scribes and he says, you guys are no better. He tears them down as well. And there's a lot that's in there. And I don't, I don't have time to get into all of what Jesus just said. I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards. I've got pages and pages of notes if you want them uh, about really what Jesus is saying. But I think what I really want to do is get to the heart of why Jesus is saying all of these things. See, the scribes were people who, who had written the Mishnah. They had, they had done what, what is, was called building a wall around the law. What that means is that you know, the God uh, in the Ten Commandments says to keep the Sabbath holy. And so then there was a command to not work on the Sabbath. So what, what they did is, 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 is then take that kind of phrase and say, what, what does that actually mean? And so they put a, a, a set number of steps that you could take during the day. They, they put a weight limit of what you could carry. They said, you can do these tasks, but not these ones. And so they put law after law after law after law together to explain just this one little thing. And they weighted people down with minutia, with tiny little regulations and rules, so much so that people were no longer looking up in their eyes in worship to, to the Father, but they were looking down to make sure that they didn't step out of line. Now again, the scribes started with the best of intentions. They so badly wanted to keep the law that they would stay as far away from it as possible and they would help as many others stay as far away from it, from it as possible. But somewhere along the way, their eyes went up, sorry, their eyes left up and went down. 
they forgot grace. They forgot who God was and why they were even trying to keep a law. They had completely lost sight of the gracious God that they served. Friends, we can really easily be these people. We can really easily tell someone in, in one you know, sentence that, uh, you know, hey, following Jesus, it's, it's really simple. Just follow these 798,000 steps, right? Just uh, attend church every Sunday and uh, never do X, Y, and Z and, and maybe act, look, think, and vote like me. We begin to put these things around our relationship with Christ. We begin to be barriers to, uh, to the gospel. But friends, don't add barriers to following Jesus. Tear them down. We are not the gatekeepers of the gospel. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. We are ambassadors of light in a kingdom of darkness. We should be the people gathering people to the feet of Jesus as we limp and we crawl and we scratch our way there because we need him. And it's only by his grace and it's only by the power of his spirit that we're able to live a life that he has called us to. We're not insiders looking out. We're outsiders who got invited in and told to invite others with us. So it begs the question, what actions or attitudes do we have that keep people from Jesus? Do we make people feel like they need to be cleaned up before they can come in? Are we acting as if grace is this exclusive club that we earned our way into and we cast pity on those who haven't yet attained it? Have we begun to treat our faith family like closed groups that people have to show ID to get into? And friends, we might not think it consciously. We may not mean to. We may not say it out loud, but I know that I'm guilty of this. There are times that I feel as if somehow I deserve grace. Somehow uh, I deserve receiving it and uh, that I've arrived at my rightful place as a favored one of the creator. But the reality is I am a dirty, broken wretch that needed saving, begging for bread. But I have a savior who stepped out of heaven to save a wretch like me. We have to stay in that truth. We have to rest in that grace. And I want us to take Jesus' next words to heart. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He, be, he began to say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Guys, hypocrisy is not the blight of their age, it's the blight of all humankind. Whether it's just in our hearts or if it's spewing out of our mouths, the rot of pride and hypocrisy will always come to light. 
Those places that we do not allow the Holy Spirit to shape us and mold us, and we call that work sanctification. Those places will begin to defile us, defile others, and they will create barriers between people and Jesus. And soon we will find ourselves being the one that Jesus says woe to. See, hypocrisy darkens the light of Christ in you. Last week in our passage, Jesus ended by saying that, that a, a lamp is put on a lampstand and it lights the whole room, but that, that if darkness comes into through the eyes is, what he, is how he refers to it. He says that it darkens the light of Christ. Well, friends, we only are here on earth to be a reflection of the light of Jesus. If you've put your faith in Jesus and stepped over the line of faith, you will live with him for eternity. There's no purpose for you here unless it's to be a light to a dark world. We are now the lampstand on which the gospel, the light of the gospel rests. Jesus has gone to be with the father. He's coming back, but he left us behind. Hypocrisy quickly darkens the light of Christ in us. I told you, I did not want this to be a time of beating us up. I wanted this us to be warned of what Jesus tells here. Luckily for us, though, Jesus didn't just allow this scathing review to sit here. He didn't just leave us with lots of questions and no answers. There was these guys called the prophets, and prophets were, were, before the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost, prophets were the ones who could talk directly to God. They heard from God. And prophets had, had a couple different functions in the life of, uh, of the people of Israel. Uh, one of those functions was, was sometimes to predict future things, whether it was exile or the coming of the Messiah or, or whatever it was. But what they always did, what they always did was call people to repentance. They always called people to turn from what they were doing and to see the Lord, and they always gave a way to do it. It wasn't like, just turn around and figure it out. They always gave very simple, very easy ways to do it. Easy as in easy to understand, not easy to accomplish. So two of those prophets, a man named Amos and a man named Micah, wrote these things, and we're going to start in Amos chapter 5. And this is so interesting because Jesus is speaking to Pharisees who know these words by heart and didn't take it to heart. In Amos chapter 5, it says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I, have, I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings or fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. I think Micah sums up that, those last couple words, very simple. We read this, this scripture earlier. Micah 6.8 says this, Mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly. To love faithfulness. Other translations say love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Friends, let generosity and justice flow from us. And let us walk in humility and love for God and love for one another.
It sounds simple. It sounds too easy to be an answer of how to let hypocrisy not rot through us. But, but friends, it's not. Justice, mercy, humility. We get the chance to be the generation to let the rot of hypocrisy and pride be a thing of the past for us that are called Jesus, Lord and Savior. Will we answer that call? Let's pray.